nice things. Hello, good evening and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... My name is Paul Carmichael and I'm far too hot and bothered. Well, if you can see, can you see my shirt? Look at this. Oh my God almighty. I went out in a jacket. I've just been to Morrison's <laughs> after a, a lovely morning with um, the piano tuner, Dennis. Um, well, he was sort of doing it. I was kind of sat up here talking to you, wasn't I? So I can't yeah. really say I've had a morning with Dennis. No, um, not really. But the piano tuner, um, I was like, right, I've got to get a few comestibles. Uh, yeah. Before recording nice things, um, yes. and so I went Morrison's, and because I'd not had me, I'd not put my nose out the door all morning, I misjudged the weather and put my jacket on, and I've just hoyed a bloody uh, giant lump of beef and a twenty-four box of pops up the hill. No, oh, in a jacket. No. In a jacket. That's the mm. worst bit. I mean, I I pop to the shops because obviously you had what's his name, Ronald. Dennis. The piano. But, Dennis. But Re- Ronald's better. Ronald. You had Ronald there tuning the piano. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll pop to the shops and back. And I was going to buy a few nice things whilst I was there. It's too hot. And I I was in shorts. And that I don't wear shorts outside of the village. Have you got trousers on this week? I've, I've got short trousers on this week, unlike okay. last week. I, like, yes. I bet yours are tailored with pockets and whatnot. They've got pockets, mm. yes. Just one, two, th- three on each side, or oh, four because of the back. Yeah. Yes, the gentleman's ass pocket. Oh, there's a gentleman's ass pocket, gentleman's and then there's a normal pocket. pocket, then there's a zip pocket, and then there's a button pocket below. So I recall got... finding my grandfather's shorts and his gentleman's <laughs> pocket uh, with, the, with the ring of a prophylactic long, long, uh, long rotted away, uh, it's, still it's, extant on the on the. Is sleeve. there some sort of law that says that you you can only have pockets if you reach a certain income or something? Then? No, I think it's an no. age thing. I think the oh, early God, doors. What? I think early doors. You're allowed sort of stripy shorts, aren't you? Do you remember those shorts right. we used to have in the nineties that were like red hot chili peppers shorts? Oh yes, that, that went down to sort of mid mid uh, mid calf. That's right, yeah. Yes, the ones that Lemmy wouldn't regard as shorts. I mean, Lemmy wore very short shorts, Mm, mm. you know. Um, But, yes, he he shall be hitherto known as Ronald. I mean, Ronalds are like a very sort of upper bracket version of the Malk. Well, yeah, I mean, well, of course, a Ronald. Straight Mm. away, I think of a Ronald Allen, naturally. But I I like to think that there is some sort of a connection, maybe between the actor... And maybe his DNA has passed into all the other people called Ronald too, and they're all a little bit like that. Slightly aloof, you know, that sort of thing. Is he aloof at all? Oh, no, no, he's from Prescott. They they don't do aloof around there. Um, Reminds me of a lerp aloof, do you remember that? The That's Life April Fool, which was the animal that that ate nothing but rhododendrons, I think, and had purple shite. And that was on That's Life. Yeah, Lerpaloof, it's April Fool backwards. I hated That's Life. I hated That's Life also, but I would sit and watch it rather than do my homework because it was school oh, the next day. I wouldn't do my homework. And that was something, actually. I never got homework for the whole of primary school at all. No. And I rarely got any in senior school. And I was particularly pissed off about this because about the age of seven... I decided that I needed to build a set in my bedroom, as you would, naturally. Because I think I'd 
started to get to grips with telly and stuff by that point. So I thought I would build um, Inspector, whatever her name was, Inspector Bravo's desk from Juliet Bravo. Oh, I... that she did, you know, that she sat behind and did her paperwork on. Yeah. And so I did this. I constructed this. And then I had nothing to do and it was a complete waste of time. I remember being quite furious and thinking, why can't I just be given something to do? And then eventually when I was given homework, Christ, I became a master of avoiding homework. I don't remember oh, ever doing any properly. I only did. ever did homework, lay on the rug, on my front, in front of the fire, watching the telly. And then I'd always go to the back of the book and draw in it. I wouldn't do homework. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember doing... Any at all. I do remember once not... No, actually, I, I must have not done some once. And I was given lines. I was given oh, lines ah, to yes. write out. I used to lines. hate. Did you used to do the I as one long I down the one long page? Must, all the musts, not. All that I sort never, of thing. ever really went to school if I could avoid it. Um, we've <sighs> discussed our sort of school avoidance techniques in the past. Mm. Feigning illness. But <clears throat> I used to be a bastard for borrowing Julia Allen's book that she was very studious um, and always did her work. Um, and I used to borrow her book the night before an exam and just learn it all and go in and, and be the top in the exams. That used to piss the teachers off so much. Oh, that will have annoyed them. Oh, That's a good technique. Now I'm a teacher. Yeah. I now understand just how bloody infuriating that would be. Oh, yes, absolutely. See, what I did was I went with a different method when it came to GCSEs. I thought... I'm not going to do any revision at all, but I'm going to act the part of somebody who has. Ah, and did and it work? didn't work at all. No. I've got one GCSE. It turned out that I could act confident all I wanted, but I didn't actually have a clue what I was doing. If it had been a panel, like an exam panel... Oh, yes. That'd be all right. Oh, I could have talked to them. Absolutely, yes. I would have talked to them about whatever they wanted. And I would have done extremely well. But it was it was the me remembering other things that I didn't care about. And mm. then writing them down. Physics. I mean, I've already told you about, you know, literally sat there with a book in physics class, just making up shit equations to try and attract a girl. So I looked really confident. But it was total horseshit. In my head, I was in, on the set of Doomwatch recording yeah. an episode. Yeah, it was always the to impress girls thing. That's the only reason why I rose through the ranks of sets in school so that I could get into the top set where the girl I liked resided. Um, what, were you successful in your endeavours? Yes, actually, yes. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, let's not drift off to that, <laughs> uh, those afternoons in uh, uh, whilst her nan was in Blackpool in the, in the flat. Um... Those days are gone. So um, today it's very warm, and we've been to Morrison's. Yes, yes. And, and um, I, I, did you go to Morrison's? I went to Morrison's. They've done well out of us today. They've done extremely well out of us, haven't they? With their, uh, continuing to put their prices up, malarkey. You know, I was going to buy myself. I, I said to you, I said for the first time ever recording NT, I mm. said I might actually get a, a little drinky and have a cider. Yes. But I haven't. But it would have suited me, I think. Because like I was saying to you, I can picture myself in a, in a Thomas Hardy novel overseeing the workers in the fields. I can, I can imagine that. Yes, with uh, Julie Christie sort of flicking her tresses as she approaches you through a, a sort of soft-focus cornfield. 
That would be in the contract, yes. Yeah, that would be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be great. That would yeah, be wonderful. Shame. I mean, they're always a bit depressing, Thomas Hardy, and he does like to describe things in pointless <sighs> detail. Just a bit. But if you get rid of all that, I think that's a historical period I would have thrived in. Sort of 1840s in Wessex overseeing yeah. girls doing things. Yeah, well, we'd all like that, wouldn't we? But we're sat well, here, it, Paul. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Reminds Sad me of that then. Vic and Bob sketch where he's like that. Hey, look at your look at your tash, Bob. All the girls were laughing at your tash. That's that Vic, Vic, man, Vic. There were no girls there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes on about some Hey, all the girls were laughing at you last night. Vic, man, Vic. There were no girls. <laughs> yes, that's kind of like. Um Yes. But anyway, yes, shopping, shopping as Neil calls it in the, uh, in the Young Ones book, The Art of Shopping. Yes. Boring. Yes. Absolutely boring. Why are we doing this? We're back in work in a week. This is worse than sitting and watching That's Life. It is, isn't it? It's terrible. Mm. But, well, there were necessities that I needed, so I thought, well, I'll brave. I'll bra but the trouble is I live in a resort, which is lovely in the winter because it's beautiful and bleak, but you get to the summer and people think they've got a right to come here yes. and use the beach. And, uh, well... Let's just say people for the moment. Okay. And they use the beach and they sit in Morrison's. I'm, like, I'm, I'm literally just here to buy some sandwich beef. That's all. And it's full of sandwich people. Sandwich beef? Did you not go and get an estimate on a tub of Marge? Oh, no, that annoyed me. That was terrible. £4.48 or something for a small tub a of Marge. Is that a big, gigantic tub? No, no, it's not. It's not no. even one of the big ones. It's a, an average sort of like, you know, you go, oh, you've got the Marge there, and you wouldn't go, bloody hell, that's a big Marge. £4.40 for a tub of Marge? Yes, absolutely. Of course, I, I wouldn't absolutely eat the stuff. Disgusting. It's, it's really, really bad for you. It's all well, trans Well, no, I mean, fat. you, it's what? Trans fat. Are you allowed to say that these days? I think so, just about. We'll get cancelled. I, th I think we'll get cancelled for it, but yeah, it's full of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of it, mate. <laughs> yes. Get, get anyway. good old English butter. Well, Hardy that's... would have approved. and you, you might have got Bathsheba around for a quick rub. Well, mate, that's a good point. No, I've, I've actually done that. I've bought some butter. Because I thought I'm going to do that because you've told me, and then two other people have told me. Thought, right, let's give it a go. So I've got a, I've got that, and then I realised I haven't got a butter dish. Um, but I'm going to stalk the uh, charity shops this afternoon. Ah, uh, is stalk a margarine pun? It is now. It is now. It so you're going to stalk the charity shops for a butter dish. You'll get a nice one as well, owned by mm. Aggie to go with your I dead man's so. shirt. Oh, absolutely, and his record collection. I got a lovely one this week, actually, which was uh, Frank Sinatra, a best of Frank Sinatra from 1993. Almost a mink. I love a bit of Frank Sinatra. Well, mm. do, you, do you have an opinion on Frank? Oh, I love a... him. I absolutely yeah. love him, especially the stuff with Sammy Khan. Mm. There's some amazing photos of them recording those stuff, uh, those albums. It's just quality. It's absolutely beautiful stuff. And here's the thing. I saw Frank Sinatra in concert. Wow. By pure fluke, I think I was 13, and a friend of mine, his brother had got tickets to a gig, and we didn't know what it was, and he just he said, oh, I've got two tickets to a gig. Do you want to come along? And we said, yeah, all right then. Got there to realise who it was. Utterly disappointed. There's me thinking, there's an old man. Ugh. He got on stage and... It was the best gig I've ever been to. Oh, I bet. God, this I, was I burn with jealousy. 
Manchester this was. And he did every single thing that I now know are his greatest hits. But bear in mind, I'd never heard any of these greatest hits. So you've got those being sung for the first time and it's live. Oh, oh my word. Wonderful. Absolutely that wonderful. Was fabulous. There's oh, a Man About good. the House episode about Frank Sinatra tickets, I'm sure. Is there? Yeah, he's in London and they're after tickets and there's a... I can't remember what it is. I think there's a, a Man About... Right in, uh, mm. if you know. Uh, I'm sure there is a Man About the House episode about that. God, that must have been amazing. That was... It was amazing. It was in a big arena. And I'm wondering now, was it the fo- one of the footballing ones in Manchester? Must have Probably. been. Must have Something been like Old that. Trafford or... Yeah, because um, this is late Main late eighties. So, but Old Trafford rings a vague bell. Mm. So, but anyway, it was genuinely it was a wonderful thing, and I think that was one of the very first times when I made a sort of a, an artistic link with the past and went, "Oh, that's nice. I, I like yeah. that. I, that that feel I feel at home with that." And that's one of the first times that I ever recall happening. Really, of Which course, then, Frank. Frank had his connections, didn't he? Well, yes, he did. You know, there's some incredible yeah. stories on some of those DVDs. Oh, I, I mean, I do need to know more about him. Frank Sinatra is not someone I know enough about. Have I've you heard read... of Frank Sinatzi? That rings a bell, but no, go on. He, he, well, he's up in Edinburgh now. The, the oh! act has changed a right. little over the years, so he sings mm. sort of... He rewrites Frank Sinatra songs with uh, spicy lyrics... Um, and he's got the the Hitler, her, and the Tash. Um, mm. I don't think he sings them in a German. No, he does. He croons like Sinatra, but he's called Frank Sanazzi. Uh, yes. And he looks like Hitler. I'm amazed it's continued, but he's up there now with the Iraq pack <laughs> instead of the Rat pack. Um, one, one of the other guys was called Saddam Davis Jr. <laughs> and, oh, there was a bunch of them. There was a, it was really, really good, really, yeah, really inventive. I remember there was one um, that was about, um, like, you remember 9-11 and stuff like that. And there was one, strangers on my flight. <laughs> I tell you, the guy slayed every oh. sacred cow there was. Probably still is up there now smashing it. And that's that's brave, isn't it, to do that? Because these days, whoa, yeah. Because you're straight away. I mean, I always think we must have developed so much, but then you think when "Till Death Us Do Part" was on, you would get the irony of the of the of the character saying all these things. And there's Johnny Spake guy. Well, you know, if you're laughing at him, you've got it wrong. I'm making a mug out of you. I remember him doing that on an interview. Yeah. You down the lens. Yeah. But I'm sure now you've got people who'll be watching that thinking, well, that's just disgusting, and not looking at that whole beautiful, playful side, the yeah, well, I mean, that justification of it, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can buy it, I can buy it, but unfortunately, mm. um, there's a lot of playing to the gallery, isn't there? I mean, you know, as a performer, you get up there, um, and people are laughing, and so you start going mad. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I'm, I enjoy, I enjoy the creation of um, Alf and Elts, the creations rather. Um, I think it was a fantastic series, and I think that it did. It fulfilled its brief, which which is what all good art should do by holding a mirror up to society. Really, absolutely, yeah, um, it did. I mean, that was the the brilliant thing, wasn't it? Was the fact that it reflected the working class. You know, it was it was honest with them. And if you look at the way that Telly went, 
at first, pr pretty much everything is aspirational. You're looking at people who are richer than you, better off than you, more beautiful than you, more everything than you. So you're looking at them. And then we start to get a bit of the working class drama uh, coming in then. So it did then, we, we turn the lens on those people, like you say. But it was only then after that that we went, all right, you lot in the middle, sitting pretty, looking up there, looking down there. Let's look at you lot as well. And Pinter did that, didn't he? Pinter did that brilliant. Just went, you're all really weird. Let's look mm. at the middle class. So it was fascinating for that to happen. And now, of course, well, we don't have television for individual people anymore, do we? We have it, as we've said so many times, we have it by committee. And mm -hmm. that's why there's bugger all on TV at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know what was on telly at the minute. I shudder to think. I think that one of the things that was sort of clear from when you watched Till Death um, especially when, you know, the very topical, you'd have the, the scarce git, um, Tony Booth playing mm. the uh, son-in-law, and he was like staunch socialist, and, you know, Alf was something which baffled us, uh, certainly in our house, because it was just like a working-class Tory, do they exist? But the thing that became clear the more you watch it is the the left and right thing is just bollocks and it essentially is us and them i mean alf makes that comment in i think it's in the one of the later series in sickness and in elf where he says i've lived under 11 prime ministers five tory six labor and i've been bleeding poor under every single one you know <laughs> yes um, so even by the end i mean cuz he gets the thin end of the wedge doesn't he when else is in a wheelchair and they have to rely on... I love that scene in uh, the first episode of In Sickness and In Health where she goes in to see the consultant at the hospital and Alf has his pipe in the mouth and the guy comes over, excuse me, sir. Uh, no, it's it's down the social security. They're trying to get money or something. Anyway, excuse me, sir, you can't smoke in here. And he's like that. He holds the pipe right in his face and he's like that. I'm not smoking. There's nothing in it. You lot don't give me enough money to put anything in it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of... He's then, um, you know, sort of slid into that bracket, hasn't he? Where, he, you know, it wouldn't be out of place in a Bleasdale or, or something mm. like that because he is now having to rely on welfare. And I think that that kind of flip is, is mm. quite the nicest aspect. I mean, in sickness and in health goes a bit off the rails, doesn't it, later seasons? I think they made about nine, eight and nine seasons? I think it's eight. I mean, it does go a bit last of the summer wine, doesn't mm. it? Where it does feel like, okay, we've been going a bit, on a bit far now. I think Ken maybe Campbell, a couple of... Arthur English. I mean, it's still wonderful. Patricia Hayes. Of course, of course. But I think that, in a way, some of the magic did go when D uh, Dandy Nichols died. And I know oh, that for the last series... In in sickness and health, she couldn't do much. She was just in the in the chair, yeah. but she didn't have to. She could just give him a look or something like that because the comic timing was still there. And you know what I love, and we've probably talked about this before, but with Dandy Nichols, she used to come up with business proper little bits of business but, um, mm. because she didn't have many lines. And you and she's and if you look in the background at what Dandy Nichols is doing, she does some mad shit sometimes. There's one episode where for ten minutes she's reading the phone book. She's just reading the phone Brilliant. book all the way through and, uh, and then yeah, just yeah. one line and then back to the phone book. It's genius. Do you, God, remember, uh, do you know that scene where Alf keeps putting salt on his knife mm -hmm. and then, she'll, it, and then yeah. she'll come on and put it back in the cellar and he, he keeps putting the salt back on the knife? Oh, man, that's a lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely bit of business, that is. Oh, it's wonderful. That wonderful. is great. Just Created and rehearsal, beautiful stuff. I think she, oh. I don't think she's in, there's certainly, I think it's series five of the original series. She goes to stay with her sister, sister. in Australia, doesn't she? 
She does. Yeah, she's in. It is. It's series five. She's only in the first episode, and she's only on film. Yeah. Um, so she's upstairs packing for the whole thing, and she never makes an appearance in the set. So she wasn't there when they recorded it in front of the audience. Um, yeah. So, I mean, presumably after that fourth series, her health started to deteriorate. I mean, it, it looked like it did go rapidly. Well, it went downhill over the course of about ten years, I suppose, in fact, did didn't it? Did they hate each other? You probably know the answer to this. No, they didn't. Right, and so this is this is this is a lovely, lovely thing. Till death us do part, if you think about who was in the room, you've got Dandy Nichols, who's just old school theatre. She's done films. She has done absolutely everything. You've got Eunice Stubbs and you've got Tony Booth who are, you know, they're just waiting for the 60s to start swinging. They are brilliant actors and they're young and they're playful and they're energetic. But then you've got Warren Mitchell who's done the Joan Littlewood stuff, who's done all that. He's done Death of a Salesman. He's done the heavy stuff. He he thinks about character so well. And you put them together with Dennis Mayne Wilson and those scripts in a room. Oh, I mean, what imagine? what wouldn't you give to be able to go into that drill hole in oh, Shoreditch honestly, for an afternoon and watch picture. them getting it right? Oh, oh perfect. That's just to watch artisans, isn't it? I mean, it is. It absolutely is. That's people. Those early episodes when it's just the four of them sometimes. Yeah. And and literally nothing happens in some of them. Literally, it's just arguments, and it's just. The, the shift in tone and the emotional manipulation and the character development. And it's just this half hour little play that at the time is emulating Pinter because it's an absurdist mm. piece. They mm. start in that little terrace, they end in that little terrace mm. and everything resets. It's yeah. that you don't get that sort of uh, crafted writing anymore. I know I'll come on to Have you got anything else on till death? Because if not, I'll. I was just thing thinking, I, I, I wonder if, and I dearly hope, that Warren Mitchell and Stephen Burkoff at some point worked together or knew each other. Because I was just, when you were describing Warren Mitchell then, I was just thinking, wow. I mean, because Ken Campbell turns mm. up in it, so obviously they've got to know Ken from his work. I know oh, I know yeah. that he did turn up, you know, um, in a lot of sitcom, but I'm, mm. I would love the idea that they bonded over theatrical sensibility. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be absolutely wonderful. I'm sure I mean, they did. I'm sure they, they did. They very probably did. I mean, Warren Mitchell was working until comparably recently. Yeah. Eunice Stubbs certainly was. And mm. isn't that a strange thing now? For ten years ago, we could have watched it and gone, well, most of the cast is still here. Yeah. Now you watch it and they're not. And nor's Dennis Mayne Wilson. And I always find that that idea of that energy of those of, of that drill hall, you know, being in that rehearsal room and that energy was oh, God, it was there. astonishing. It, to be able to see the product of that is, it's a privilege. It God, really is. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> no, go on, dear. You you go on to what you were going to go on to. Oh, no. Um, well, I was going to say. Yes. The other thing that I've watched this week, because uh, I mentioned on, on the last nice things, mm. that I've started a rewatch of Tenko. Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, I am going to have to insist that if you're going to make me work through Bullman, how many series of Bullman are there? Only two. There are only merely 19 episodes. All right. Well, I think you could cope with 20 episodes of Tenko in that case. <sighs> and I'm going to tell you why. Go on. Right? There's an episode. It's um, the penultimate episode of series one. Yeah. And one of the characters 
I'll try not to give too much away because, you know, spoilers 41 years later. But one of the characters, uh, Louise Jameson, sod it. She uh, breaks out of the camp. She gets caught and she's brought back and she's staked out in front of the women. Now, Louise, and she's there for days. She's there for over a week with no food, no water, under the sun. (laughs) And Louise Jameson, the way that she plays it, she has got hardly any lines in the whole episode. But she just shows this physical collapse as day follows day follows day. In between these these uh, sort of like showing you her deterioration, you get these character pieces, five minute long scenes. And they are like mini plays in themselves. And there's one between Stephanie Cole and Stephanie Beecham, which is about the existence of God. And it is the most perfectly crafted little duologue. But then you get another one between Burt Kwok, who I only never knew from basically comedy. But you get mm. Burt Kwok. And, oh, he's a um, hard ass in that, isn't he? Oh, and Anne Bell, who was the leader of the uh, of the British women. And they discuss children and what that means from their two different cultural perspectives. And this whole episode is made up of two-handers while you watch a human being falling to pieces. Two-handers, eh? Two-handers, hoping that she doesn't die. Oh, it's it's stunning. And then, and then what I love is the fact that to make it really oppressive for the actors, in Studio 3, when they're filming it, they turn the ventilation off and they turn oh, the yeah. heating up for every recording. Oh, God, you can't fake the way that they look. It's wonderful stuff. No, it's if you good. send it me, I shall watch it. <clears throat> and Stephanie Cole was almost a Doctor Who, you know. Yeah, I remember. I yes. remember. That would have been good. Yeah, that would have been good. Doctor Who has been... Uh, it seems to be omnipresent on Twitter, obviously. Um, but there's... You know all about everything that's going on in the Who-niverse. You, you, you're very... Uh, you're a very... Um, what's the word? Committed. Committed mm. fan. You mm. seem to know everything that's going on in Doctor Who. Doctor well, I just Who. know it. Yeah, I mean, there's... Well, there's a 100... The centenary special, yes. isn't it? Which BBC is turning a hundred, so they've done a centenary special, and um, yeah, the rumor mill suggests it's not the best, and that maybe it's needed a little bit tinkering with after the event. Um, but also, it's apparently they've missed the deadlines for some of the magazines to actually get blurb and pictures and stuff into the magazines, according again to Twitter. But some people I, who I... I do not understand any of this. I mean, so Chris Chibnall is the guy with whom the book stops right now, yeah? Well, mm, this is a problem, isn't it? Because Ah. the series is in production under Russell T. Davis at the moment, who's making new stuff. Yeah. But they haven't shown the rest of Chibnall's stuff. There's one to go. But I assume he's no longer working on it. I assume he's no longer based in Cardiff. I assume it's done and dusted and boxed, but... um, Basting in Cardiff. Basting in Cardiff, as Um, you would be on a day like today. <clears throat> right, I mean, yeah, but I mean, apparently there's been like quite. It's not been a successful association union, shall we say, Mister Chibnall and the and the brand. But and oh, this is God, my no. point. No. Um, he's been incredibly successful, though, hasn't he? What is what is Broadchurch? Is it Broadchurch? Yeah. yeah, and this is why people thought, okay, this will work. He also did. If you remember, there was a Doctor Who spin-off called Torchwood back when they first brought yeah, it yeah, back. Yeah. And he was the executive producer on that, so it's like, okay, you can do 13 weeks, you can do cults, you can do popular. Is it just so fucking mad and big, this product now, that 
that you can only get like because Russell T Davis, from what I saw in that documentary Donkeys years ago, he looks like someone who does not stop working. He just doesn't mm. stop. That's his life. His work is his life. Yeah. So is he's, that what it he's takes? all over the whole production, everything. So he's the he's script editing. He's in the the meetings where they discuss the the you know the feel of the episode. Everything. He's in the he's in he's over everything. The music, the direction, the script editing, the branding, the merchandise, everything. That's a massive job. So that's why he's back, isn't it? Because literally, he is indispensable. Uh, he is, I think, absolutely. And I think now. You know, the BBC have got to pull out some big hitters. There's been a few interesting sort of things happen this week, haven't there? Um, the BBC is talking about putting Elstree up for sale, which <laughs> would be quite a thing. Now then, you've got to then think, well, why have they done that? Now, about eight years ago or so, EastEnders was doing rather well. Its ratings were strong. They were solid. They were around about well, seven I, million. I saw the new place they built in Borehamwood. Mm. Like, now, three years ago, it was gigantic. And this is the thing. It's only just being completed. It's come in years behind where it should have done. Right. And it's cost a hell of a lot more than it should have done. Because obviously, the old set was plaster. A lot of it was just plaster exteriors. And it was literally, it was um, held up by wooden props. Because yeah. it was only designed to be used for a couple of years back in 85. And it's still being used. Whereas now this new one, which they commissioned when the series was doing really well, it's finally, finally available for use. And the problem is, of course, now nobody's really watching EastEnders. So they've got so this So what have they huge... built? Is it, is it all proper, like they can film in the houses and stuff? They, like... they can't film in the houses, but it's all proper. I mean, it's proper. So basically, it looks, it feels, everything about it is like you are in a genuine Victorian Square in the East End. So they've of built a, a street or two or three. They've built about, about sort of eight streets with oh, well, buildings. They'll on. get flogged. Well, this is the thing. It's a bit like the El Dorado set. There's no running water. There's nothing like that. So you know oh, you can't actually. Okay. Oh yeah, no, it's just facades. They still have the studio. But here's the point. East Enders has been going down and down and down in the ratings. Last week there was an episode, and all right, it went out on BBC Two because of the Commonwealth Games, but you think the audience will follow it. 1.1 million viewers. Ooh, wow. So I would think what's going to happen is the BBC are going to put Elstree up for studio, uh, studios, up for sale in a couple of years, and then they can quietly let EastEnders go. They'll make a profit, so everyone will forget about the amount they, they put on the set and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> It'll be something like that, but I fear at the moment EastEnders is on its way out, and I fear for all the soaps, in fact. Oh, that's good news. I mean, mm. it's good that they're producing some drama in amongst all the sort of celebrities watching telly and Love Islands and whatnot. But are they? I mean, they're, they're not. What they're doing No, I mean, is... it's good that they're, they're employing actors, should I say. Oh, but... yeah, but the, the same ones. The same repertory company of 30 people in constant work. And that's the problem. You know, I mean, all right, take Tenko. The, this week I popped into the museum in Liverpool. You know, they've got all the Radio Times going back. Oh, I love yeah. that. So I popped in and I looked at when Tenko was on. On the same week that Tenko was on, you had uh, the district nurse... You had um, some police drama. I can't remember what it's called now. You had Triangle. You had loads of different dramas. Not mm. just one a night, two or three a night. That's what you had then. Now, are there any dramas on tonight? I don't know. 
I don't know. No, I've no idea. I watched. Did you watch? Because um, Sky have done each year. They seem to be doing like a, a kooky series, shall we say? There was mm. one last year with Jude Law, or perhaps the year before. I don't know. Um, I can't think what it was called. That was that was really good. The third day, I think it was called. That was, was really that him good. Stuck on an island. Yeah, yeah. There's a place, isn't there, out in Essex that that exists. This place that's cut off. It's like oh. a peninsula, and it's cut off at the end of the day. So the, the the location was actually real, and it was a bit of a wicker man thing, you know. Um, mm. That was good, uh, but then Jude Law's excellent, so it would be. Um, mm. And then this year they've done the Midwich Cuckoo, Cuckoos, mm. yes. uh, which I'm sure you know. I do. I'd probably rather watch um, Village of the Damned. Well, it, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it is. That's what I know, it is. But, um, but anyway, I, Villi- uh, the Midwich Cuckoos wasn't very good. No, well, it wouldn't be because they made Village of the Damned, and then they and it's got Ian Hendry in. Well, what of more do you want? What uh, more do you want? But it was like thir- it was a lot of episodes. Yeah, it looked uh, like it. it so it, I thought, was... absolutely not. I'm I'm not um, doing that. A gallant effort from who's the girl who was in Ashes to Ashes? Gorgeous. Oh, and she was in the Durrells. Yeah. Oh, God, Tipping I know. The Velvet, all that business she was in as well. Yeah. Um, oh, Done. yeah, her. She's got to look at Gabrielle Drake. Um, she has. She, she was excellent in it, obviously. Um, yeah. But it was, it was, I did watch it all because I like the Midwich Cuckoos. Um, and I think it's always good, but mm, no. And, and that's the thing. You know, that's the thing that we do re- did really well in this country, whether it's Children of the Stones, The Stone Tape, Sky, um, you know, Wurzel Gummidge, whatever it may be. That that lovely vein of fantasy writing mm. and, and TV production. Did you watch the clip I sent you yesterday of Melvin Bragg with Peter O'Toole? Discussing, oh, no, I haven't um, watched that yet. Jeff Bernard is unwell. I haven't watched that yet. Oh, oh. Mate, it is just... It's joy. It's just joy. Oh. Peter O'Toole is uh, just wonderful, obviously. Yes. Um, and Melvin Bragg's just like that great easy manner that he has with an interview, you know? Mm. Um, Superb. And there's a studio audience. So, of course, O'Toole can play it. Um, mm. And he's talking about Jeff. You know, I've known Jeff since the late 50s. And, um, oh, I'd tell you some of the best anecdotes in it. So I'll shut up. Because oh, it's fantastic. Constantly, you know, uh, placing new s- fresh cigarettes in his holder. Oh, too. Oh. You need a vape holder. I, that would be wonderful if That's you could get you something need. like that. Yeah, I'm it'd sure probably you look can. Like, it'd look like a Hoover attachment these days it or would, something. would, yes. I don't fancy <laughs> that at all. Anyway, listen, um, there are there's a, there's a few people who've left the party this week as well, aren't there? Who uh, There are indeed. Who we should be talking about. However... Not We're not going right. to tell you who they are just yet. You're going to have to come yes. after the, back after the break. That was smooth of me. You're going to have to come back after the yes. break. Yes, yes. Join us after the break. That's only to get rid of him on Monday. Crikey, I'm gonna do everything myself. I said, no, no, no. Ah, Neil. Oh, hi, Viv. <laughs> Still trying to save the world, eh, Neil? It's money that makes the world go around, not peace and love. You can't love your neighbour and make a decent profit. 
Well, you can with friends provident, actually, Viv. I'm talking serious money! Every man for himself! Friends who? Friends provident. They're really big in ethical investment. Ethical? Yeah, they believe in keeping your money out of anything heavy. Well, I suppose you stand to make a heavy profit, do you, Neil? Well, actually, I already have, Vivian. Well, how'd they manage it? Talk to my breadhead. Ask your breadhead about stewardship ethical investments from Friends Provident. We've grown big by being recommended. Up there. Oh, that must have tickled her fancy. <laughs> she um, did enjoy it. Yeah. So, yes, people we have lost. People we've lost. We've lost a few this week. It's it's. Mm. Uh, there's far too many nice people leaving the party at the moment, aren't there? And the far too uh, many. The big one for me is Judith Durham mm. from the Seekers. That woman's voice is. Oh God, it's a perfect voice. It it's not no. That's that's not giving it the credit. The control that she had over her voice. Mm. She had this remarkable ability. Say, for example, if she had to go down a scale while singing, ba ba bum, something like that, she could do that perfectly, notationally with her voice. There was no hesitation. It didn't sound like a voice going from one note to another. That one stopped and that one started. The precision with which she sung. I was just always amazed by, really. And um, I think, really, Judith, Judith Durham, dear, is probably why we're doing this from my perspective. Because when I was very young, um, my mum had a record of The Seekers Sing, and it's a beautiful album. There's sort of the combination of spiritual songs with the upbeat folk songs. And I loved this. And when I was 18 months old, I used to drag a chair across the living room to climb on to put the record on and I, I worked out how to work the record player at 18 months old and I think that that fascination with that black spinning disc and the lady's voice that then went into all you know all other media how does that work how does this work but I think that that's where really my fascination sort of probably began um and not understanding the songs was the other thing, which was a brilliant thing for me as a child. There's a song on there called Myra that they sing. And it's about a prostitute um, okay. who's, who's going to go, um, not Myra, Myra, many boats in the harbour, going to go down south and make many fast dollar. It's like, oh, OK, Myra, is that what you're going to do? And she gets lots of money from dirty old men, as I recall. You know, lyrics like that that I would, as a four-year-old, happily sing along to. Nobody stopped me, of course. Um, no. And then you hear them later and you go, it's just about a prosy. Wonderful. Well, yes. Someone, Wonderful. Uh, someone on Twitter the other day pointed out that um, Lola by the Kinks is, is about um, a transvestite or something. And it's like, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. But a yeah. beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. I absolutely loved it. Judith Rome. I love A lot the of those of the songs sequence. had so many double meanings, didn't they? I mean, um, Here Come the Nice by The Small Faces is about yes. taking speed. And he sings in it, He's Always There When I when I Need Some Speed, or whatever he sings in it. It was banned mm. by the BBC, obviously. Well, yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's always that thing, isn't it, that when a beautiful sort of chanteuse, for example, mm. as you're talking about here, is combined with some racy subject matter. 
you know, mm. in the same way that Ray Davis did with a genuine tale of meeting uh, a transvestite prostitute, I think maybe in Soho. Mm. Um, you know, it's it transcends, doesn't it? Anyway, and and that's the, that's the wonderful thing when art works on so many levels. I mean, you're talking about the voice as instrument. Mm, absolutely, which and, is and a remarkable is, thing. It really is. There's a theory which I love um, and I hope is true that says um, that before we developed speech and language, we sang, you know, in the same oh. way that birds do, in the same way that, well, that birds do. Well, I'll tell you what then. Have you heard of vocalese? Hmm. Okay, this this fascinated me. I've I've got hold of a load of old episodes of Jazz Six Two Five. Oh, it's glorious stuff. It's lovely. God, it's good. Lovely. Do you remember when BBC which... Two first reshown them? Was it late eighties, early nineties? <clears throat> it was early nineties. A lot of the recordings I've got come from then, so they're like old BHS recordings. Right. Of oh, old they've Jazz not been 625s. pristined and put out. Oh no, no, no! Occasionally you get one or two on BBC Four a couple a year, but no, and it's That's one of those shame. rare things where it went from sixty-four to sixty-six, and they've still got the vast majority of them. You know, get them out there, get do yeah. something with them. But I was watching one, and it was Annie Ross, this singer, Annie Ross, and what she was most famous for was the fact that she could sing in vocalese, and what vocalese is is, um, and she was doing this with two other blokes. And you would take something written for instruments. So you might take something that is uh, it's written for the sax, it's written for the double bass, it's written for the piano. You are the double bass, I'm the sax, she's the okay. piano. And we sing the instrumentation, but we try and capture the emotion of what the instrument sounded like at that time. And that's vocal ease. And I just, and if you hear it, it reminded me there's a lovely stage direction that nobody will ever really know of, and it's in um, the script for Edge of Darkness. And it ref it refers to a scene, a moment, and it says that the emotion should be as plaintive as an oboe, mm. which I just think is beautiful. Mm. And here you've got that sort of same thing with vocalese being sung. But that wasn't what impressed me. What impressed me was she was being accompanied by the Tony Kinsey quintet. And there's Tony Kinsey, who is still alive. He's 93, still drumming from what I can see. And there he is with, the, with his four boys there. And I'm watching this Jazz 625 and I'm thinking, where do I know him from? Where the hell do I know Tony Kinsey from? It's not as a drummer. It's not from jazz. And all of a sudden it clicked. 1981, closing titles of Willow the Wisp. This oh, yeah, amazing right. drummer. I thought it was familiar. It's Tony Kinsey, this amazing drummer with this girl singing in vocalese on Jazz 625. And then he comes up with Will o' the Wisp as well. And then, of course, I started listening to the music from Will o' the Wisp. And you think about it, that's a complex little bit of music, especially if you're on the bassoon. The bassoon yeah. at the beginning, diddly, 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 all in yeah, one breath. It's lovely. Stunning. Stunning. It's a beautiful piece of music. But the, I mean, the bassoon was a, a very familiar instrument to us as kids wasn't it i mean all those Polskate films and stuff like that had lots of contrabassoon in and stuff beautiful sound well the bassoon was the voice of ivor the engine yeah of course yeah, you know, yeah that was yeah. how he spoke um i i wanted to play the bassoon i really they look really amazing to. don't they i mean aside don't from they? the sound they're just things they're just beautiful they're huge victorian looking things like they're out, yeah. out of a jules verne novel and so I begged to be allowed to play the bassoon. I hated playing the violin by this point. I begged to be allowed to play the bassoon. And eventually they gave in 
And then, and but then it turned out that I'd been describing the wrong instrument, and they got me a bloody oboe instead, and I wasn't happy at all. Oboe's lovely as well, though, isn't it? It's not a bassoon. It's not a bassoon, but I should imagine that a bassoon still commands a very high price. Um, and oh, probably yes. back then, I mean, that's the thing about instruments. They're very expensive. They're for the posh people, dear, those kinds yeah. of instruments. You yeah, know. I know, I know. I did get an oboe when I played it. It's it nice enough. It just it wasn't a bassoon. I wanted a bassoon and a basset hound to sit next to me, and the basset hound had to be wearing a deer stalker. That well, there's the time for head. that. There absolutely there's, is. There's time for that in your frail dotage when you're keeping bees in Sussex. Or is it Suffolk? Suffolk. Either. Either. Yeah, I don't I, care. Either the engine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Judith Durham. I remember there was an album that my Auntie Margaret gave to us, which was The New Seekers. Was that her as well? No, it was not. I don't approve. No, 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 no I didn't that, think it would be. I think that was when the Seekers... Because the Seekers split up in 68 originally. Right. Um, and they did a farewell concert on the BBC, which is just all their greatest hits being performed at the television theatre in Sheffield. What Bush. are the hits for the un- uninitiated like myself? The most famous one probably is Georgie Girl. Okay, hey, right, that's uh, who we're talking you know, about. That's who we're talking about. Beautiful. I mean the whole the whole thing. The rhythm with which they sing as well. Um oh you've got to listen to it. You can't even Have describe you- Ever seen a film with Lynn, Red, Lynn Redgrave? She was jo- in Georgia Girl, right? She was, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Called A Smashing Time. I think it's her and Rita Tushingham where they just go out in London. Like It's around that time. It's a brilliant film. Oh, no. I must have a look. We've had that. a smashing time. It's like two oh. northern girls who go to London for the day. It's brilliant. It's a fantastic do. film. Fantastic That'll film. Do me. Absolutely That'll fantastic. Do me. So poor Judith uh, has left yes. the party then. She has 79. She is being honoured to the hilt in her native Australia. Um, there's talk of having um, a, a bank holiday in her memory. Wow. Um, I mean, she was a national figure. You've got to... It's always that strange thing, isn't it, with Australia? Because it's so bloody big, but there's not many people there. They only live so, around the edges, don't they? Well, that very sensibly. But I think, suppose that's when you get an export that becomes world famous, be it Judith Durham or be it Neighbours... It is something to be proud of. Has her death been overshadowed, do we feel, by their other export, Olivia Newton-John? W- mm. Would that would that have happened out there? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know which which of these stars was held in the highest esteem. I mean, I remember a kid, as a kid, the only film I ever got to t- took to see... No, sorry, I got took to see two films as a kid. Uh, the Aristocats and our Kath and Jimmy took me to see Grease. So right. Greece, and for Christmas that year, I got the Greece album, uh, um, which Jimmy, being a miner, he just ripped the price tag off the front, girl. Um, and and so that album was a big deal to me. But I mean, Olivia Newton-John in those trousers in the film where she comes on at the end, it's just like I, I, you're you're looking askance. I think, I think in the same way as Judith Durham introduced me to nice things. Yeah, I su- I suspect it was Greece that introduced me to nasty things. That yes. said, there are things out there that you don't like, Paul. Here's right. an example of one of them, and it was because that bloody song was on everything. And I think it's about 1978 Greece, wasn't yeah. it? I think that they played "You're the One That I Want" on Blue Peter, so it would have caught me unaware. I'd have been sat there watching Leslie I've Judd got, and Simon I've got Groom. Four words for you. Oh God, go on. Okay, I'm going to give you them in the right order. Okay. Arthur. 
Mullard, oh. Hilda, yes. Baker. All right. Wonderful. Now, that must have led to a reappraisal. Oh, absolutely. Straight away. Now, this is the, this is the curious thing. You see, I saw these clips of Greece and these strange men with greasy hair all sort of going around going, huh, at each other. I think I may have thought at that point, thanks to my Auntie Lena, great Auntie Lena, who would have been sat there, and she was one of the first people I can remember who would just look and talk and go, common. And I suspect that she would have thought that of this Greece clip if she was in the house. So straight away it was like, I don't like that. That's not something that I need in my life. It's Quite. unpleasant. It's loud and it's brash. What is this, Don't want this it. thing called America, Mother? That's so, the sort of thing. So Australia, as it remained in the Commonwealth, was acceptable. Absolutely. However, America... It made Neighbours, which was nice. It made Judith Durham, which was nice. It yes. made nice things. That I've, uh, America made loud things with people shouting and calling each so other. So I'm guessing you're not a fan of Elvis ever. Presley. No. You like Frank Sinatra, though. I do like Frank Sinatra. I do. I mean, but then I wasn't expecting to be introduced to him. These days, if someone goes, oh, have you seen this? It's on HBO. I go, well, that's American then. Now, if you were to just say to me, have you seen this and not say it's American, I wouldn't prejudge it. You like some American things, though, like Jaws 4. Jaws 4's burly American, though, is it? I mean, Jaws 4's different. Jaws 4's special. Anyway, back to Olivia Newton-John. Yes. Um, yeah, she was a big deal when we were kids. She was a big star, a big deal. Right. So I'm thinking in Australia, she her star may outshine Judith Durham's, or has Judith Durham remained a big deal over there? I don't know. I've no idea. I, I think, I mean, not to speak ill of the lady, but I don't know. I just never knew of Olivia Newton-John. Really. I remember I was in just Greece. A bit what young. else did she do? I don't know. I don't remember anything else aside from no. Greece. No. Um, but yeah, as well as that, today mm. the news arrives of, of and this is one of those things, isn't it? You know, Raymond Briggs. Mm. Now, the snowman. We all know that. Yes. We we all know that. But when the wind blows, mm. do you ever remember that? Voiced by, is it John Mills and Peggy Ashcroft as mm. the old couple? Mm. I think you're right, yeah. Oh. That was, uh, we weren't allowed to watch that as children. It was too scary. That was scarier than Threads. Yeah. Because brilliantly, whereas Threads presented things in stark reality, filmed on 16 mil like the news footage was, this was a cartoon. Mm. And that's meant to be safe. Yeah. And they stripped that safety away with that yeah. piece of work. Um, and horrifying. Uh, but, but my God, it was good. I mean, Raymond Briggs was a genius to, to have come up with these ideas. The story of the snowman is what is so simple. And it's something that um, was never on in my house, because obviously it was on... Well, you can imagine what the response to Channel 4 would have been with... My, my only quibble with the snowman though is do you remember Mr. Snow in the Mr. Men books yes I do same thing same story oh. uh, well, I think yeah. we have him here somewhere Hold hard. okay um, you have a look oh, I've, not dis I'll be here yeah. all day oh okay not dissimilar maybe then no he melts at the end it's the same thing 
right it's the same okay. story but that okay. aside the artwork is beautiful the artwork's beautiful the music is beautiful yeah um it isn't Alec jones on the on the no CD that's too, that's of one course. of those urban myths isn't it it's not him who sings i'm wanking in your hair it's it's not no. no um it's it's another boy altogether whose voice then broke um, so he couldn't do the live performances on top of the pops and so on, and that's where little Aled comes into it. Um, but I, I recently, I treated myself, I think, last Christmas, um, I got the LP, but it's a picture disc of uh, right. the music, and that's that's wonderful. And, yeah, I think, even though I, can get, I didn't watch it, because it was on Channel 4, and therefore it was apparently wrong, um, it's one of those things which I introduced my own kids to, and, God, it is... It's wonderful. Poignant, I was, isn't it, as well? Yeah, straight away I was thinking about that earlier today when, when I read that news. I thought, well, I'll be able to listen to that again soon. Good. Good. I don't like picture discs. Why not? I don't know. I think it's the purest within me. It's like when you see people with an old Mini or a Morris Minor and they've punked it. You know, and they've put alloy wheels on it and they've lowered the suspension and they've painted it in garish colours and stuff. It's like if I see an old Mini or an old Moggy or an old Beetle or something like that, I want them to be, you know, to look like they originally looked like. And I think it's that puritanical street within me. I want a, I want a record to look like a record. Yeah, you did. You have had picture discs for a long time now. You know. I mean, oh, I, I, know, when, I know. When ET came out, um, I got the picture disc of uh, the the soundtrack from that. Not because I had any interest in listening to it. Not considered common then. Mm. Um, I was made to watch ET. That was one of the few times that we all went to the cinema as as a family. I had to watch this, and I just I've never seen it. Oh. I, I was six when I watched it, and I remember that. Um, I remember what I remember is reading in, in some Blue Peter book, Sarah Green saying, "What's the similarity between me and Princess Diana?" We've both cried at ET. I nearly said something else then, which I'm not going to say because <laughs> ah. I would have been liable. I'll tell you at the end. Um, oh yeah, but um, but uh, yeah, what's the and and I and I read that before I went, so straight away I thought, well, I shan't. And then when it died. I wasn't asked because I just thought it looked a bit strange. This little mm. dwarf, that dwarf, and it looked a bit like a turd running around. So I didn't like it. I thought that was a bit. Oh no! The closest like we that. got was my mum used to get stuff off the Avon lady, who was mm. I think Barbara Whitfield. Anyway, and so I still have it. It's in a box. It's still. It's it's probably worth two pence. Um, I've got an ET soap from Avon in the box. Fuck knows mm. why. I've got that. I've got a few little E.T. figures dotted around, which came with cornflakes or something. But do you remember E.T. biscuits? They were like custard creams, but purple and green or something like that. No, I don't know. You only got that. two little custard creams in a packet for like 10p, but you got little E.T. cards with it. No, I don't remember those at all. If I'd have eaten those of those e-numbers, I would have been off my tits. Oh, that was the joy of it, wasn't it? All those e-numbers. Do you remember striper bars? They were like old yes. fruits, but they used to get you off your tits. Do you know what I found? Do you remember Pacers? Chewy oh. mints. They were oh. white with green stripes. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus. I mean, give me a handful of those. and no, that The best was, was Dracula lolly, for days. Lo lollies. Do you remember them? Mm -hmm. oh, Dracula yes. lollies. The black colorant in them is banned now. <laughs> really? Because it's, it's so bad, whatever it is, and, you know... You see, that was the thing. We, it gave us all the energy to run around, you know. Exactly, yeah. But we I couldn't mean, be slovenly. No. 
And seeing as, um, like you, you mentioned the story of the boy not being able to do Top of the Pops, going mm. back to Hildra and Arthur's sterling rendition of You're the One That I Want. Um, Wonderful. Have you, do you remember when it was on that dock? I don't know what it was. Um, but the Channel 4 used to make these documentaries. They still do, but they have like mm. no marks on them talking about stuff. Uh, they should yeah. get us on. <clears throat> um, but um, at the time when they were making these, they still had like, you know, good people to contribute. And Barry Cryer was on one. And Barry Cryer and someone else who I can't remember was behind that single. Mm. And he hadn't known they'd been booked to do Top of the Pops. And he was sort of like, for God's sake, don't get them on there. They'll ruin it all. You know? <laughs> and they got on there. And they don't know the bloody words. I mean, poor Ilda's no. in the middle. She's starting with dementia then. Um, <laughs> Arthur Mullard's like, cool. You know, he, he's just pots for rags anyway. And they, have you seen that performance on Top of the Pops with him done up like John Revolting with the her and yes. the wig on and everything? And they don't know the words. They've no idea what's going on. I right. know. It's wonderful. And he says on this documentary, he went from number 22 and dropped out the charts. I said, for God's sake, don't get them on. <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant uh, thing. It's probably on YouTube. But, um, oh. yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't remember that at the time. It's so funny to think that when all that was going on, it was kind of cheek by jowl, really, with all the punk stuff happening, wasn't it? You know, you still had... It was a weird... I mean, I think that... The seven, I mean, the golden age, obviously, of television for many people, for historians, is the 50s and 60s, isn't it? Because mm. that's when everything was being innovative and new. It was all new. There were no rules. But mm. the 70s, we were able to sort of live in a world where, and for the 80s to a certain extent, where it still strode all those different disciplines, didn't it? You had theatre. Oh, yeah. You had the, the sort of uh, the pioneer of television. And you had music hall. And you had pop which was still run by those guys who Frank Zappa affectionately refers to as the cigar-chomping guys. So that was still push, 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 push. And it wasn't. Mm. It didn't feel as corporate as now. It didn't feel... It felt like stuff could just sit nicely alongside each other. And, and you would get crossovers like that. I mean, I'm sure there were punk records done by Des O'Connor, maybe. or something. I mean, Paul Nicholas did a track called Reggae Like It Used To Be. You know, it's wonderful. just like um, it's uh, that's wonderful stuff, though, mm. isn't it? And you would get that that crossover, that pollinization, mm. cross fertilization going on. Why don't we get that now? I think it's because the content isn't there. Isn't enough content in various media to be able to generate those crossovers. I mean, we don't make sitcoms anymore. We don't what make sitcoms dramas are there now. Sorry to interrupt, but what sitcoms are there now? Can you name one? That's currently being broadcast? Mm. I no. can't. No, I genuinely can't. No. I don't think that sitcoms happen anymore. I think that was kind of... I mean, you know, The Office, the original, the, the British Office. I think when it comes to The Office, for example, that was a series that... It, it did so much in terms of comedy, but it also broke an awful lot down yeah. The Office as well. And I think yeah. after The Office, the traditional sitcom was dead, especially after what he, uh, Gervais did with extras, you know, actually taking the piss out of the traditional sitcom. Mm. And I think, yeah. unfortunately, then it became a bit of a dirty word to do situation comedy. But there is also the economics of it. You've got to think four days rehearsal, yeah. one day in studio. Or you hire your actors to just know the lines, turn up and say the lines, do it single camera. It's going to be potentially cheaper in some ways. 
Yeah. Maybe it's that. And I think in drama straight away, and this is a key thing, we don't have enough studios for everything that needs a studio at the moment. So drama's not getting a look in. If you went back to maybe having something that was like a big factory designed to produce television, like almost a television centre with eight Mm. studios, we'd be fine. We'd be fine and we could produce drama. We can't now. Yeah, but that was considered to be non-cost effective. And so the bean counters obviously looked at it and decided, oh, we can get rid of that. I'm sure that that real estate was worth a lot. No, I'm going to explain as much as I can about this. Right. So... The story put out, names and, and so on will be omitted. The story put out was that TV Centre was in a bit of a dilapidated state and it wasn't really up to scratch, remember? Mm. Studio 3 was the only studio in Europe at the time, and this is in about 2011, the only studio in Europe at the time that was capable of HD, 3D live transmission. That's not dilapidated. There was nothing wrong with the studios. It needed a lick of paint. Mm. But what then happened is TV Centre is sold off to Stanhope. They can do what they want. They demolish most of the studios. So you lose four, five, six, seven, and so on. And people are going, well, where do we go now? Pinewood's got a new studio. Let's all go to Pinewood. And I would suggest to listeners and viewers they should maybe see if there are any figures who connect the two studios. Mm. That's what I'm going to say. You interest me strangely, Holmes. Mm. Yes. I think with anything like this, there is always going to be money to be made, isn't there? That's Mm. the key thing. This wasn't done for artistic reasons or anything like that. It was made ultimately because it would make money. Um, Of course. But at the detriment of television production. That's the sad thing. Well, to the detriment of our national sort of spirit as well, you know, in Mm. many ways. um, You know, a country is defined defined by its culture and its investment to culture. Mm. Um, And I think that that's what's sadly lacking now. I think it's all pound signs because no matter what you look at now, it's like if you talk to journalists... Honest journalists, I know that's a bit of an oxymoron, but if you if you speak with the honest journalists, um, certainly that I know, you know, they're just like, to, to get things on the telly, it's like, oh, has he got someone with X Factor in it, or someone who's been in Corrie, and you're like, no, and they're like, well, <clears throat> we can't get them interested, so money now is only placed on incredibly safe bets. Mm. And because that's so much money, you can't make as many things. So that's why currently, I mean, currently I can't tell you a sitcom that's on, but can you tell me on BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, Channel Five, can you tell me a current drama that's broadcasting that they've made apart from the soaps? No, no. I mean, people raved on about The Night Manager and I tried to watch that and it's not very good. Right. I mean, Hugh Laurie's fantastic in everything he does, so it was like, oh, well, I'll watch it because Hugh Laurie's in it, but it's not very good. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. Um, it looked it looked quite stressful. Like, like these things are always bloody stressful. Mm. You know, there's always got to be stress. Come back next week and it's all stress. Be stressed till next week. I don't yeah. want to be stressed. That's oh. why I love that lovely thing which happened when um, there was an argument scene in Crossroads between Ronnie Allen and Noel Gordon and they're ripping strips off each other in rehearsal, really going for it. And it came to the recording and they dialed it right down. And at the end of recording, the director, I think it was um, David Dunn, went down to the studio and said, darlings, what happened? And Nolly's response was, oh, people don't want that sort of thing when they've been working all day. 
Uh, no, she's no. quite right. I don't. I don't <laughs> want death and disaster. After I, I want gentle. What was the thing you've just reminded me? So there was, there has been a very big drama series. I think it's a police thing. Last couple of years that ended last year. No, it was a big deal. People were oh. well, in, uh, well into um, it. Not between the lines. I was going to say between the lines. It's somewhat like yeah. that, isn't it? Call of Duty. Call of Duty, yeah. And people were really asked about that, but it, what they were asked about sounded incredibly stressful. It sounded so stressful. I saw one episode and there's people drowning and there's people being... Uh, no! I don't want that. I don't like no. it. I, I think that if that somebody, sort of thing. If somebody did have the will to make something... You know, get some decent actors in it. They don't have to be names. By no means do they have to be names. There are some brilliant actors out there. Um, get a decent script, decent actors, make it. They would be incredibly surprised at the response. And they could make it very cheaply. They don't need all the CG and they don't need to film it all on location. And they don't need all these things. No. But they won't. No, they won't. Because they have a way of working now which is to emulate the American market with single camera malarkey, forgetting that the Americans have got an awful lot more money than we have. The Americans yes. have got a shit ton of money. Of course they can do all this single camera drama stuff. But they didn't abandon their multi-camera drama. They kept all that going as well with daytime TV. So they've got both. In right. Europe, the majority of what's being made in terms of drama still uses a multi-camera approach and it still uses rehearsal. In this country, we basically went, well, which, oh, let's just do what America does. Well, you've only done a bit of it. That's the problem. I used so to quite like that. Doctors. Did you? Yeah, I thought that was a decent um, a decent series early doors. When, I mean, I... when Christopher Timothy was doing yeah, it. Yeah, he was in it and Diane, Diane Keane was in it. And yeah. it was like, it was quite good. It was multi-camera. Um, no, that's true. Very it's, swift it, turnaround. It's probably still on. It is. It is still on. And it is a swift turnaround. I know someone who's just recorded an episode um, of it. Hello, Warren. Um, and he was saying that the turnaround, you do the scene, they're, they're happy, you do the next scene. Mm -hmm. And it's just that. But they are so proficient at it. So they can turn it around like that. Mm. But I think the problem that we've got, apart from all the things you just said, is that there's no space for drama at the moment. Because... Emmerdale is on five nights a week, Coronation Street's on five nights a week, EastEnders is on five nights a week. That eats up a lot of your drama time. Yeah. I and mean, you're talking about devoting yourself to two and a half hours of TV a week for each of these soaps, maybe more, maybe three hours. Nobody can do that. Nobody I know, can it's, do it. Uh, Emmerdale's reaching its 50th year anniversary. It is. Uh, any moment now, in fact. Mm. 72 it started, yeah. So Will they have Fraser Hines back, or is he? Did he get killed off? He got killed off off screen, um, as oh. often happens on these things. They just uh, they suddenly go, oh, well, let's just say they're dead. Um, so they killed him off. Um, all of the originals now are no longer with yeah. us in most cases because they are no longer with us. Um, I think if you want to look at a model where that works, BBC Scotland have got it right with River City, one hour a week. That's your lot. Right. That's all you get, and. I can do an hour a week. Yes, comfortably. 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 Not three hours. Three hours of people shouting in the East End. No, thank oh. you. I don't have I've time. never ever fancied watching EastEnders. Mm. It's not my sort of thing, dear. No, it's humorless, dear. Yes, I and should we imagine a, it is. We need a little humour, I think. 
I think when they had Barbara Windsor and Mike Reed in it, it was probably all right. They still shouted at each other and hit each other. Mm. You don't want that. Mike Reed, the point of Mike Reed, the best thing about Mike Reed is that when you watch him on Runaround, he always looks like he might punch a child. Yeah. But he doesn't. He never does. Whereas in EastEnders, they'd have probably just brought him a succession of children. Punch them all, Mike. Yeah. That's what... Awful. Well, he's, Have you he's got any nice things this week? Sorry, He's go integrated on. the Jungian shadow, hasn't he? So he doesn't punch people. Have I got any nice Good things lad. this week? Yeah. No. Oh. I don't think I have. Have I? No. I haven't. I've been too busy. Since we finished work, I've just been yeah. working. Yeah. Just doing music and editing our film and things mm. like that. So... Yes. I, I don't know about you, but when I get into doing something, nothing else exists. I know, absolutely. I think yesterday I spent 15 hours editing one little thing, and it was like, mm. that was it. That was the day gone. So, um, yeah, I got one nice thing this week. I mean, yes. it's just, uh, I saw on the on, on the interwebs somebody saying that this book has been reprinted, and suddenly it became a thing of, oh, they're, mm. they're bringing the series back. They must be bringing it back. And, oh, maybe. Um, but it's the original novelization of Blake Seven. Ah. Um, and when I went on to Amazon, they only had two copies left. And I thought, oh, well, we better get one then. Um, so I did. I got it. It's like a Target novelization. But, and will uh, you read it? I'll take it on holiday with me when I next go abroad. Oh, going abroad, are we? We're going to have a little trip later in the year. I'll take it with me. I doubt I'll open it. I always do that. I take a book and then I look at the cover. Well, that's, that's what longing foreign right. holidays are for, yes. But yes. Uh, were you a were you a Blake Seven House? I get the feeling that that may not have been a Catholic program. Well, no, it was just I don't recall seeing Blake Seven at all. I mean, what time of day? What day of the week and what time was it broadcast? I think it was Mondays at seven, or Tuesdays at seven. Either way, that would like have that. been a, a soap, wouldn't it? Mondays at mm. seven was always this is your life. Yes. That was always on, so I wouldn't have seen it because of that. And then I presume it was Corrie at half seven. It would have been Corrie, yeah. And so then Tuesdays was Emmerdale. Yes. Um, farm, as it would have been. But farm, yes. as it would have been, yes. Uh, and Mondays was also, seven o'clock was also Give Us a Clue, I think. Um, and then some shit sitcom at the start of the year. ITV mm. always made a shit sitcom to start the year. And it was always made at Yorkshire Television. Always made at Yorkshire Television. Duty always. Free was one. Duty Free's not too bad, actually. I think no, Duty Free was Eric Chappell. I'm not sure about that. It might have been. Um, I think it was, yeah. So that was a good one. There was one mm. on with Andrew Sachs called Deadly Earnest, which I've mentioned before, which was dreadful. Mm. Kinvig, yeah. which was pretty good. Nigel yeah. Neal. Um, and then there was one with Bernard Cribbins, the, the late lamented Bernard Cribbins, uh, where they were working on a pier, which was actually based on a radio sitcom, uh, which was a sort of sequel to Dad's Army. It sticks out half a mile. It sticks out half a mile, yeah. Mm. That was one. There was always one of them at the beginning of the year, then we'd move into pretty safe give-us-a-clue territory. Uh, mm. Give-us-a-clue, bit of Corrie, and then a Des O'Connor tonight was generally a Monday. Wonderful. Give us a clue, which is getting the network box set treatment. I saw that the other day. Ridiculous. Oh, I am series. so happy. Oh, there's 14 discs of it I've pre-ordered. How much? I had to... It was £50. That's alright. Is Lionel Blur still with us? No, I think Lionel oh, left the party earlier boring. this year. That's yeah, boring. That's no. boring. 
Yeah, no, Lionel. No, he yeah, passed no. on, didn't he? That's shit. A world without Lionel Blur? No. Yeah, absolutely not. And I, and I love the fact that they're still doing dirty jokes about him on I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, even <laughs> though they know he's dead. They aren't <laughs> stopping it, which is it, wonderful. Is um, I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue any good these days? Is it still good? It's all right. It follows the same rules. Uh, Graham Garden still pops up occasionally, and it's a joy when he does. Um, it's become a bit of a uh, let's get the latest new face on sort of thing. And I like the cosy familiarity. I always love the fact that it was the same four people sort of stuck, you know, when you had Willie Rushton, Barry Cryer, Graham Garden, Tim Brooke Taylor, and Humph overseeing yeah. it all and not enjoying a minute of it or so. It they seemed. were glorious shows. Oh, absolutely wonderful. Do you remember that wonderful story about Humphrey Littleton when he was on tour and just very quietly, he was he got his breakfast given to him and it was put in front of him and he looked down and jabbed at what he got and mournfully just went, how do you fuck up a prune? <laughs> <laughs> ah, he was oh, fantastic. He was wonderful. absolutely fantastic. But they all were. It was a great show. It, it was. was a great show. Um, Absolutely wonderful. Although if you listen of... to the first episode, oh, terrible, the pilot episode. It took oh. two years to get anything to her. The pilot episode is just disarray. I mean, it's, I think, it, I don't know if Barry's on it. He might have actually been hosting it. I'm not even sure, but Christ, dreadful. It took David Hatch two days to edit it into something almost transmittable. But well, what a legacy. Yeah. <coughs> the same cannot be said about Hello Cheeky. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, we're about to run out of time again. Are we carrying yeah. on? Are we calling it a day? No, no, we'll call it a day there for the boys and girls. They've had right. about an hour and a half. Yeah, that'll do. Right, well, as mm. always, we hope you enjoyed whatever that was, and we hope you enjoy the coming week. And until next time, goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs> Presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production. (laughs) 